The Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. The courage to grow is business. MTN Business, a new world of business. On the menu today, just going back to what went wrong, Why did, what do you think, was it the targeting, was it the script, was it the offering, where was the problem in, in the wholesale cycle? And when you find a way to make it possible to do what you love and make a career out of it, I think that's a win-win scenario. Also, what are you going to do with it? So I'm giving you consent that you're going to use my information, but what am I giving consent to? Are you going to be sending me emails? Are you going to sell it to somebody else? Thanks for spending time with us. This is the Big Small Business Show. On the show, we support entrepreneurs at various stages of their entrepreneurial journey, whether it's that idea that you came up with in the shower this morning and want to know if it'll work, or if your business is now on the decline and you're not exactly knowing how to move to the next phase of growth. This is the show for you. Also, if you are one of those uh, corporate guys who are thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, this is for you too. This part of the show is our, uh, uh, what is it? Panel discussion. Panel discussion, eh? Which we, in our panel we, discussion, panel beat people. We, we panel beat people. No, we don't panel beat people. We support people who are in the journey and are battling with certain issues of that growth. And uh, Kumaran is our finance and strategy guru and all sorts of other gurus. Uh, and I have uh, sworn that I'll be nice to him for the next couple of weeks. After that, it's back to business as usual. But our guest today in studio is Lee Dupria. He is founder and MD of BE, or B Innovation, B Innovation. You spell it B-E-E, Innovation. This business consults with their clients to use legislation such as triple BE, employment equity and skills development to increase their profitability while complying with broad-based economic empowerment. Let's have a look. BEE Innovation is a business that offers consultancy services to companies, not only helping them to comply with governance and legislation, but using BEE as an effective tool for maximal returns on their businesses. The founder of the company, Lee Dupree, took the skills he gained from aviation and applied it to his business, one with accuracy, adventure and efficiency. We're a BEE consultancy and it's our role to handhold our clients through the BEE verification process. We ensure that they're not just compliant, but they have the best BEE score possible and that that's implemented in a way that is efficient in their business and effective. And we help them ensure that it's not just about compliance, but we've taken the acronym BEE and we've changed it to mean business evolution and expansion because we believe that when BE is implemented properly, that's exactly what it can do for our clients' businesses. It can help them evolve and expand. You know, we've got a staff of almost 400 employees. Um, we've got a turnover of a couple of hundred million. Um, and, and there are a lot of challenges with our structure because we're international. Our board of directors is um, 
or white, which makes things difficult. And Lee's been very creative um, in finding ways for us to improve and become more compliant. Um, he's currently helping us work toward level two, um, which will be brilliant um, for Sumta in South Africa. Um, yeah, he sort of holds our hand every step of the way. And he has a fabulous team who come in with all sorts of different ideas of how we can do things better. The business has been in operation for four years with a turnover of more than 1.5 million rand in the last financial year and a permanent staff of eight. 2014, when I came in to actually officially start working, that's when I came in. And it was a very big learning experience because I knew nothing about transformation in the country in terms of BEE at all. So it was a good learning curve. And so that has been great, just learning something new. But then also what I love about uh, working here is working in a company where you feel you're not just a number, you know, you're not just there to just do your job essentially, but you belong to something that really values your input. Though Dupree continues to assist client businesses to become more BEE compliant, his biggest challenge is not having enough access to bigger listed companies. Uh, we currently have medium-sized companies that tend to have a few hundred staff and a couple of hundred mil turnover as clients, but we really want to start shifting into the larger listed space. We've started working with listed corporates already, and we know that we have the skill and ability to be able to address the challenges that they have and to be able to safely do the work that they require. So we really need help and guidance around how do we pitch and position ourselves better so that we can access these larger companies as clients. Well, as you heard, Lee asked us to give him guidance on how to access these uh, listed companies. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. So how did you get the, you said you started, how did you get those? Well, it's mostly been referrals so far and networking opportunities. In fact, that's mostly how the business has grown to this point. Um, mostly referrals and networking. And do you have any sales function within the business? Yeah, I do almost all the sales. Um, we're looking at uh, getting an additional person in to do that um, and also shifting um, one of my colleagues to help us with sales so we can accelerate our growth. And how do you do your sales? Just give me a typical uh, week, how you handle sales. Um, somebody would give me a call and say, uh, I know this person, they need help with your BEE. Uh, please talk to them or we'd have a, an existing client who might say uh, I have a friend or uh, an acquaintance's company that could do help uh, that could do with some help with the BE or I may meet somebody at a function or event and uh, we'll get chatting and they'll ask that we come and see them so no outbound calling we've tried it uh, it wasn't very effective um, it, it we spent a lot of time and energy doing it and we eventually gave up. We'd be willing to try it again if we uh, could figure out what we were doing wrong. What mm. did you try? We used some of our clients' procurement lists, uh, which they were happy for us to do, and we called their suppliers. Um, so for us, it was an easier way in because it's there's already an existing relationship. Um, and it, it wasn't as effective as we thought it might have been. So the way we had positioned the call was to say, um, this is currently our client and they've asked that we get in touch with you uh, because your BEE scorecard is not at the level that they would like to see it at. How do you differentiate yourself, uh, particularly uh, if you're looking at the listed companies, most of them being in Johannesburg, 
How do you differentiate yourself uh, with uh, the other BE consultancies who are quite big players in this space? How do you differentiate? What's different about you? Well, we look at our clients' businesses a lot more holistically than most of the other consultancies that um, we, we know uh, we compete against. So we don't just treat BE like a tick box exercise, but we look at it in the context of the entire business, so including the HR component, even PR and media uh, and marketing. So we even got a client some primetime news coverage as well as um, the morning primetime TV shows for interventions that they had done as part of their BE scorecard, which had a great impact on the communities. So we really um, bring in all aspects of our clients' businesses when looking at the scorecard. We're going to have to take a break now. Uh, we'll continue after the break with more questions for Lee. Welcome back. Now our guest in studio today is Lee Dupria from BEE Innovation. B Innovation. BEE Innovation. If you were reading it, it would say BEE Innovation. Two words. This business consults with their clients to use legislation such as Triple BEE, employment equity and skills development to increase their profitability. Now before the break, you were getting a sense of how Lee was currently getting his clients and what his uh, methodologies were and what differentiates him from uh, the rest of his competitors. Over to you, Kumar. Tell me, Lee, you want to go into the corporate, the larger listed market. Correct. Why is that? We realize that a lot of the work that we have to do is the same, whether the company is a listed corporate that we can bill a lot more to, or if there's a small mom and pop shop with five employees. So it makes sense for us to start working with bigger businesses. And what's your engagement process and how long does it take? for? The, so, you know, do you meet with them once or twice? Is it physical, email? And how long does this all take on average? We like to meet with our clients in person as frequently as possible. Right. At least once a quarter. Because right. uh, BE is quite a process. It's not something you can do as a one-off exercise. Um, but sometimes as frequently as once a month if necessary. But leading up to verification, we'll often meet with them quite frequently. Is your, is your uh, uh, revenue model uh, subscription-based retainer or project? Subscription-based mostly. We have very few project clients. Most so, of them are so you're based in Peter Mansburg? Correct. So how are you going to, most of the head offices for listed are here in Johannesburg? Sure, I spend quite a lot of time in Johannesburg and Cape Town because we have clients in all the major cities. Mm. So we travel between all the centers anyway. And for this moment, why do you think they're not buying from you? What we've realized is that some of them seem to think that um, we're too small to be able to provide the services that we need, uh, that they need. What we've realized in spending time with them, uh, with some of the larger companies, is, is that sometimes we can provide a better service offering than some of their previous service providers. Mm. Let, me, let me come in here. I think, I think from, from our point of view, this is um, a um, perfect storm in the sense of this for me is uh, both of us 
uh, love to talk about. I think for me, and I'm, I'm not going into the summaries, but, but this is around strategy, which I think Kumaran was alluding to. And the other thing is sales strategy, mm. the sales process and sales strategy. So I want to I wanna just go back to the sales because, you know, you're asking a sales question. I'm very much about the fact that sales is a critical competence in any business. And, and that's where the issue is. Yet you're saying that we tried something, it didn't work, and now we gave that up. And now we get all the, we wait for people to call us. I mean, for me, just going back to what went wrong, why did, what do you think, was it the targeting? Was it the script? Was it the offering? Where was the problem in, in the whole sales cycle? I'm not actually sure exactly what the problems were there. Um, we looked at uh, whether it was the personality of the person doing the outbound calling. Uh, we think the script was pretty good. We think we did a pretty good job on that. Um, so I'm not quite sure. I worried about the script. Okay. Because what I heard you say was that, you know, because you were referred to them by their big client. Mm. Right? Now you could do the pitch in one of two or three ways. But what I heard you say was that you're falling to say, listen, we've been referred by your big client and uh, they're not quite happy with your BE scorecard for us to check that out okay. or help you with that. Now straight away they were like, hang on, if I'm dependent on this big client and they sent this guy to police check, now am I going to expose my vulnerabilities to him? Uh, okay, not, not just that, also you're your right? profitability. Yeah. Okay. You know, so you see because P uh, P the ED and SD work on one and two percent of net profit after tax and once that's known, then they can, they can, that their perception might be that that margin is, is being You should expressed. have approached it in a different way. Uh. Yeah. So let's come back to, 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 to that because I mean, I'm definitely going to go summarize there. But let's just move to the strategy side, which I want to, because you touched on it, yeah. but you didn't go down there. Because no, because I was giving you a chance to ask. Yes, yeah, so I'm okay. giving you All a chance. Right. I told you it's going okay, to be Okay, so the, the thing is, you know, uh, let's a few more questions first on the on the subscription uh, any other advisors also do this retainer model i think many of them do uh, i know of a few who do one of project fee mm. um, but we don't think that that's the best solution for the clients mm. uh, you can't do bee as a one of project yeah i think you really need to think here about the target market because the competencies and the expectations of these two different target markets are different it's two different businesses in the listed market is a long sales cycle a b you're asking them to implement certain ideas that they can't afford to take the risk on because they're listed and there's reporting. Mm -hmm. They do some kind of a program or a scheme or a product and it doesn't work. Now they've got egg on the face. They, they need air cover to make sure that whatever is being suggested is fine. So the kind of proxy for that, the bigger the firm, mm -hmm. the more they have to lose, the more safer they are. Mm -hmm. So I, let me de-risk myself by dealing with a larger mm -hmm. person that can match me. You know, we're both gorillas in the kind of room rather than that's at a very subnormal, subconscious level. I think that's what goes on in that yeah. market for the type of thing you're doing. And you now, can't just, sorry, and you can't discount the the Peter Maritzburg brand yeah, very versus the Joburg brand. Mm, that, I, I hate to say it that says as it somebody who went to Maritzburg last year because I loved it, but it's not exactly the Joburg brand. Sure. Yeah. So that in itself says something. So this is all under this theme, you know what I mean? You you're not walking the talk. And so they will discount you out at the subconscious level. So either you've got to address that issue, mm. and all that comes with that target market, which is the long sales cycle, all of that, or choose another target market. So one more thing on this bigger, on this, it sounds like I'm summarizing, isn't it? 
That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. All right. So the, the 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 target market, the bigger ones, is that uh, also I'm not sure whether they they up for that retainer model versus I need a problem solver charge me the project fee. Mm -hmm. I'm not certain what that market expects, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes people always aspire to go to the top of the pyramid, but there's a lot of value in the middle mm. and in the bottom. Mm. You know, and if I look at uh, on your website, which I did, a lot of those customers are decent size mid, but no name brands in terms of a listed. Mm. And that already seems to be your, mm. your market. I, I would really encourage you to check out what their expectations are, ask them, and look at what uh, the opportunities. And there's also a lot more crowded space. Everyone's going to the listeds. Mm. Yeah. Let me ask you a tough question, very tough question. In a hypothetical that there were two Lees, right? Yeah, not two Lees. There's a Lee and there's another individual in the organization. And one was the technical person who understood the technicalities, i.e. the consultant. And the other person was the, the face man, the salesperson. Where, just give me the percentage of where Lee lies in. Uh, which, which are you? I think What's I lean more towards the sales and the face. I disagree. Yeah, also. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the answer I was... I, was Big time. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the answer. Because your language in the first session when you, when you started off, you said, uh, he asked you how do you get your sales? And you said, well, referrals, it was very reactive. It's, okay. not, it's not a salesperson is doing that, right? You're like, they come to you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's referrals. And, and then when he asked you, how did you do sales one time? And all your answers were, uh, you know, I, if someone's referred me. And all then he asked you, where's the outbound? Yeah. So there's no, the DNA, the culture, the language is, doesn't speak to that. Okay. I'm yeah. calling bullshit on that Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, with you, I'm with you on that. And I think that, you know, you need to, when you watch this again, you need to reflect on, on, on this because it's quite a harsh thing. Mm -hmm. But it might be the thing that unlocks the business. Okay. Is when you work out that you're not that individually that, then I have to supplement with that other person. Mm -hmm. and, and a big part of, if you look at historically how businesses have grown, it's very often, I, I look at my history, that I have a completely different competence to my partners. Mm. And, and that they might be more the, it's called the technical people, I'm more in the, the sales. Mm. Um, and, and, and I come in as a support function to give more credibility mm. to the sales. But getting the, in front of the client, the color, client management might be a different role. Where mm. you come with a, you, you need the, the gray beard and then you can mm. do this and you can come in with all the expertise and reference to different parts of the, you know, the, the, the act, or, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, this and that, etc. Okay. Well, we've partly summarized, but we, I think we've got lots to say st still. So we're going to take a break now and we'll be back with uh, the balance of our summaries. Do stay tuned. Welcome back. I hate saying that because you were always there and I've said that before. But anyway, welcome back. Now, our guest in studio today is uh, Lee Dupria. He is from B Innovation. This business consults with their clients to use, uh, use legislation such as Triple BE, employment equity and skills development to increase their profitability. Before the break, we were having a discussion once again around um, strategy. In other words, which segments uh, of the market that the company is uh, approaching and why. And we were also then 
asking some tough questions to, to Lee about is he the salesperson or is he the technical person? We got very different answers to what we expected. Over to you, Kamaran. So, you know, you're asking about how do you grow into the, into the larger segment. It's a different, it's, it's, it's a growth question, but it's also a strategy question. So for me, strategy comes first with choosing the target market after looking at the landscape, you know. And so we've already talked about that, who are the different players, what's the expectations of the two different markets, the listed and the normal non-listed market. And uh, I would urge you, before you try and fix up things at this end, rewind all the way back to strategy and the target market and really understand what it is that they want and what you have the competencies for and choose one and live with that. Mm. Don't try and be the listed and this. And I would urge you not just to go for the holy grail of, of listed. I think that middle market is better for you. Uh, it can allow you to sell this virtually, you know, video conferencing, this, that, you can reach uh, nationally. They're not so as fussy at, as the listed market, perhaps. So target market first. Then your pricing and engagement options, you know, needs to be aligned. Everything now needs to be aligned to that, right? So your how you price with it, uh, maybe that needs to be fixed up. I'm not too sure. And then you need to build, and maybe he's going to talk a bit more about this, but then you need to build a sales and marketing machine. Two different things. The sales is the people that call and speak and engage, either proactively outbound and uh, inbound. In fact, it should be both. But the marketing is how to get them to supplement that, right? So it's, uh, is it online marketing, digital marketing? What are your pitch packs? All those types of things. Uh, I would definitely do, do that. It needs to be German-engineered, structured process. Because then only you're going to get the results, otherwise nothing. One more thing, when I looked at your website, I, was, I couldn't get to grips of what this thing is you're offering. So what I would do is package it. So if you're saying you do employment e equity consulting, or this, package it. Package it to say, listen, this is what we've packaged. Give them an example. This buys you that. This is what we can do. So they can touch it and, and, and feel it, and it looks real, and say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I need. I can relate to this offering that you're having. Otherwise, this corporate speak of consulting in general terms does not go with well with that mid-market that has a urgency on their side. Mm -hmm. So the packaging of the products would, would do something I would strongly urge you to do for that smaller mid-market space. All right, uh, Lee, from, from my side, I know, I know you from a, uh, from a different context, and I'm going to maybe be um, blatantly uh, honest here. I really honestly think that you are the, the technical, um, you are an intellect um, and you are very, very smart and, and very organized in your head. And, and I think that maybe you're mixing up on what Kamara gave me a little bit of a segue here around the marketing. The difference between marketing and sales is vast. Mm -hmm. And you might be mixing the two up because I do think you're a great marketer. I know you, you, you push your brand, you, every opportunity you do, you push your brand. But pushing your brand is not sales. That's marketing, okay? And you're very good at that and you might be thinking, mixing the two up. Sales is about picking up a phone and, and actually making a call and, and getting the meeting with that individual. It's all, that's part of it. So for me, I always talk about a compelling economic right to exist. Do you have something to sell? Do you have somebody to sell it to? Do you have the ability to sell? And if you sell, will you sell it at a profit? So let's go through that uh, one by one. Do you have something to sell? 
I don't think your USP is, is, um, is sharp enough, is differentiated enough. You talk about this holistic approach. Well, I can say those words as well. You need a, a defensible USP, and I think you've got the intellect to build that. Number two is, do you have somebody to sell it to? Yes, there is a market, but to Kumaran's point, the strategy will determine whether it's you know, the listed or the mid-size. And I agree with Kumaran that the, there's more meat and less competition in the mid-size. And, and that might be your opportunity to get in. Whether you change your strategy in the future is a, another thing. Do you have the ability to sell is the third question, which is part of what I was asking now. And I don't think you do have that enough. Okay? And if you sell it, would you sell it at a profit? And that is, are your margins correct, which I don't want to go into t today. But to the point of that, that engineer, German engineered sales process, that's what you, you can apply your intellect to for somebody else to execute on. I would spend my time trying to find the face man, that front man, set up your structures so that the commissions are right, and once the door is open, you swan in and do your magic then. Okay. And then you, you're, in the, you're the designer, the uber designer of this thing. All right, lots to think about. Yeah, very much so. Some paradigm shifts as well, but very valuable. Okay, great. Please stay tuned to see what's coming up after the break. We'll be right back. I think the main difference comes in to that perseverance and not giving up um, because things get tough. And So what do you think the difference is between the people who do give up and the people who don't? Welcome back. Uh, we are now going to have our Psyche of Success slot. Our Psyche of Success slot is aimed at trying to understand what makes champions in business, in sport, in different aspects of our lives and how to apply that to us as entrepreneurs in our day-to-day -day lives. With me in studio I've got Stefan Garlicky. Um, he is a, a very, very well accomplished young man. Um, just to give you some of his credentials here, he's two times South African national champion. Uh, he's three times, uh, he's had three South African National Cup wins. He has nine uh, South African National Cup, uh, Cup podiums. That means he's been up there going something like that uh, uh, nine times. He's, one, he's nine South African Provincial, provincial Cup wins uh, between 2013 and 2017. Um, a podium at every national champion competed in. So he's been up there every time he's competed and is the Western Province Enduro Champion for 2015. He's also the current uh, world ranking of 48 for downhill mountain biking. So, mountain biking. <laughs> so let's first of all understand what downhill mountain biking is. Right, so downhill is the, I guess, the most extreme discipline of mountain biking. Um, three main disciplines, cross country, marathon and, and downhill and cross-country being lap racing, about an hour and a half in length, and obviously up and down. And then marathon being like the Absa Cape Epic, um, you know, multi-day stage events, and then downhill being the shortest discipline, most extreme, high speed, between two and five minutes, it's a sprint. You race against a clock on a fixed course, jumps, rocks, anything you can think of, um, and you get taken up with a lift, because um, the bikes aren't designed to actually ride uphill. Um, and your average speeds would be anywhere around 30 to 40 k's an hour. Max, maxing out at probably 80 k's an hour. So. Sure. With rocks and dongas and bushes and everything. Pretty much, yeah. Sometimes do, do even we look at it and go and sort of think to ourselves, well, 
<laughs> do, do people die? Um, not, I mean, since not since, often. <laughs> since I've been doing it, I, I must say I haven't. I've heard of maybe one or two mountain bikers die, but not actually downhill riders, um, cross country riders. Um, but it's it's all. I mean, we crash often. It's just luck of the draw. We wear a lot of protection: full face helmets and neck braces and knee pads. And um, okay. so, how did you start? I did motocross as a youngster, um, and then when I finished school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I'd always ridden bikes, uh, bicycles on the side, just for fun. And I went over to the UK, actually, and I met some guys when I was there. Um, I was just gone, went there for a gap year, um, and met some guys there that were doing mountain biking, and they said, come along to a race, and um, sort of one thing led to another, and when I got back, started competing locally, and I was actually still planning to go and study. Um, and started doing quite well quite quickly and within six months um, I came fifth in the South African Championship um, from just starting the sport and that was sort of what, uh, what got, me, got me into it and I thought I could possibly go somewhere with the sport. So, so why would you, like if you think about other sports like um, let's call it tennis where there's somebody on a tennis court serving and serving and serving and serving or hitting against a wall or against an opponent or whatever the case may be and in other sports lots of practice is there the same type of thing in the sport where you can practice it doesn't sound like you can yeah definitely yeah it's it's actually very calculated although it might not look at sometimes uh it's it's very calculated and we spend i'm on my bike pretty much every day not always a downhill bike but some sort of bike so whether it's a motocross bike or downhill bike cross-country bike um, doing just skills, even just in, on the road, you know, practicing wheelies, uh, bunny hops, things like that, just having your bike skill. Um, and obviously the fitness side and, and doing gym work and, and the endurance side as well. So how many hours a, a week or how many hours a, a day would you say you are in inverted commas in practice? I would say half the day every day doing some sort of training or something related to the sport, whether it's actually riding down or, or training for it or in the gym or, you know. Um. So talk to me about discipline because, uh, you know, discipline is obviously to do that every day. What, what, what drives you? Why, why do it? I think just for, to start with, the love for the sport. That's how everyone gets into, you know, you like doing it and then you realize that you love doing it and you want to do it for <laughs> the foreseeable future. And when you find a way to make it possible to do what you love and make a career out of it. I think that's a win-win scenario. So let's move there to the career now and talk about this as a, as a business because the way that sports people actually make money because you still have to eat yeah. is through sponsorship. I mean sponsorship, sports sponsorship is a, is a big business but there's a threshold where there seems to be that everyone above a certain level makes money and below that like no one makes money is it the, first of all is it the same in your sport yeah very much so the the top the top 10 guys in the world make very very good money and then it drops off very quickly so so what in your opinion makes a champion like i think two things passion for what you do and not giving up um so, not giving i don't think there's a massive difference between people that um, in terms of talent between people that make it and don't make it. I think the main difference comes in to that perseverance and not giving up um, because things get tough. And so what do you think the difference is between the people who do give up and the people who don't? What, what, what pushes you? Why don't you give up? <laughs> it's 
So I don't know. Sometimes people call me um, uh, sort of stubborn or uh, just obsessed. I think mm. you have to be a little bit obsessed, but you you basically got to want it as much or more than anything else. Um, someone once told me you have to want it as badly as you want to breathe. Um, like you've been pushed underwater and you, all you focused on is getting air, and that's that's how you have to want to succeed because in that moment that's all you want and kind of nothing else matters. And you've had obviously some dark days where you have fallen off the bike and and um, you know you, you feel that you know you've you've come second you know and you should have come first and, and there's one instance where you on a, in a big race came ten seconds after like the number one which. You know, is that is that, first of all is that a lot, a lot of time or a little of time? Depends on which event. It can be close. It depends on also the track. Um, but at that particular event, it was one of the World Cup rounds, which is the top level in the sport. And that was actually, I got twenty first at that event, which was a uh, in the world against the world's best. And that was a huge breakthrough for me. Um, before that, my best result was somewhere in the sixties. Um, so it was a it was actually a very big day for me. Um, and it might seem like a lot, but. Those guys, it's like Formula One. They have a whole team behind them. Um, mechanics, chefs, masseuse, huge big trucks, um, telemetry on the bikes, and I'm there working out of the back of a van. And then to be able to get that, that close to them, you know, on those terms, it was a, was a breakthrough for me. Last question very quickly. What's, what's it going to take for you to become number one? Yeah. Well, uh, In the world? Last year, I, I tried something different by getting myself a mechanic and going to some venues beforehand, which made a huge difference. Um, and I think just more, it's just a learning process. More of that, every year I've managed to step up to another level. And I think just keep going and keep plugging away. And getting a team behind me would be a huge breakthrough as well, um, because that, that definitely has a huge effect. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for coming uh, into the studio, sharing your, you. your champion journey with us, the psyche of success. And uh, we do hope to see you as um, world number one. And, uh, and when you do, we want you back in studio uh, to tell us how you, how you did it. I'd love to be back. Well, stay tuned uh, to see what's coming up next uh, on the show. Can I phone you? You say no, then I'm not allowed to phone you in future. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, the act says that you can phone a person the first time to, to get consent. Welcome back to the Big Small Business Show. We now have our expert slot and somebody who's no stranger to the Big Small Business Show is Juanita Stienekamp. Now, every time we have her here, she always brings us bad news. She always brings us some other act or policy, policy that we have to follow and today is no different. Today we're going to be talking about Poppy or Poppia, de depending on the which version of the, the name you, you like better. <laughs> so let's start, let's start talking about Poppy or Poppia. What, what is it for those who don't, have never heard it before? Okay. So it's the Protection of Personal Information Act. Okay. Specifically um, talking about pr protecting information 
And it came about when we had the World Cup. So people didn't want to come here and use their credit cards if there wasn't any protection for their personal information. Is that where it started? Yes, yes. Okay, and, and why is that important? I mean, for, like, why is it important for, for us to have it? I think in generally um, worldwide, yes. there's a lot of data protection uh, legislation. South Africa was lagging behind in terms of that. So that's why we, we then had to bring that in, or a government had to bring that in. So some people think, like myself, think it's a, a simple thing of just getting consent mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, uh, from your customer or whomever mm -hmm. that you can use their data. And once they've consented, um, that's it. That's all I need. But it's more than that, right? Yes, yes. So initially what people were thinking when they heard about Poppy is that I can't process information and then I think the next step was people think okay I need consent. But the Act actually got eight conditions and you have to meet all eight conditions when you are processing personal information. Just give some, some of those. Okay. So some of, one of it would be um, accountability, so you, you're taking my information so you need to take accountability for that. Then also what are you going to do with it? So I'm giving you consent that you're going to use my information, but what am I giving consent to? Are you going to be sending me emails? Are you going to sell it to somebody else? Are you going to be phoning me? Um, how long are you going to keep the information? And what are you going to do when you actually delete it? So those type of things. When I signed in at the bottom here, you wanted my ID number or my car registration. Why is that necessary for me to come and visit you? Mm. Why do you want my ID number? What are you going to do with it? So that's the type of things that you now need to think about. Okay, and, and this has been around since like November 2013, right? Yes. What's, mm -hmm. what's been happening since? It's been a long time since. It's been a long time. Since we heard yeah. it was coming. Yeah, and as I said to you, it started with the World Cup 2009. Yes. So the, the, the Act was actually drafted in 2009. Yeah. 2013, it was signed as effective. Um, 2014, certain sections of the Act was made effective, and that's also at this t time where there's a lot of rumors saying to people, the Act's effective, you have to comply. But the only sections that was made effective was the sections dealing with the appointment of the regulator. 2014, then the regulator was only appointed in 2016. So another two years has lapsed. Uh, December 2016, Advocate Pansy Lakula was appointed as chair, chair, chairman, chairwoman, I don't know what, what the chairperson. <laughs> chairperson, and two other full-time employees as well. So mm. the regulator is there now. Then last year, August, they released the regulations. Uh, we commented on them, the comment deadline was uh, November last year. So currently we're waiting for the final regulations and then an effective date to be, to be published. So a, a lot of the sort of panic around it was uh, like the people, different interpretations, people saying that if you re read the sort of to the letter of the law, mm -hmm. that even having somebody's cell phone num number on your contact list was in, in contravention to the Poppy Act. Okay. Yeah, no, you've, yeah. Heard, mm -hmm. you've heard those I've sort heard of extreme those ver rumors, versions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So has the you know, because there's a practicality around mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. about like what's illegal, what's not mm -hmm. illegal, and what's practical, what's not practical. Okay. Has has it shifted? Yes, I think there's still a few uh, fear mongers. I would say that that say to people, well, if you're not complying, you're going to go to jail. You're going to pay 10 million rand fine, which is the, the fine that the, the regulation or the act says, but. It also depends on, I mean, you having my cell phone number, I gave it to you. So it's not like you bought it from somebody else, which they then would have had to get the approval. So it would depend on how you get the data. I mean, just in terms of personal information, personal information is everything. Your name, your ID number, 
religion, sexual orientation, your address, even for a company, it's a company registration number. I mean, it's very, very wide. So all that is personal information. So it just depends on how you got it and what you're actually doing with it. But, but then the, the other discussion was around the, the proof or the onus of proof for, to pr prove that I was given it mm -hmm. or I perhaps I didn't even buy it. Maybe I was not given it by you but by, by your mm -hmm. sister. And then, and then what? Okay, yeah. your sister, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. here's, yeah, yeah. Here, here's sort of, uh, like this, real, yeah. this is the sort of the fear-mongering story is that your sister says to, to me, ah, give, mm -hmm. give my sister a call. Mm -hmm. And that technically is, is in breach of, of the act. I don't think you'll, you'll go into that much detail. I think that's more in a personal situation. Yeah. I mean, if, if I then say to you, I'll give my sister a call, I think that would be a different type of aspect than you buying the data to sell me something or to spam me or, or that type of thing. I think you need to, and I think it will be sort of a more practical approach. And the real thing is, yeah, it's just A, the protection. We've seen what's happened with Facebook now with the mm -hmm. 50 million mm -hmm. uh, uh, records yeah. that, 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 that were inverted on the sold. Um, to another company. So it's really trying to protect people from A, that their data is sold. Okay, I think that's a big, and that mm -hmm. uh, the abuse of being called all the time on lists that, you, yeah. that you were never consented to be on. Mm -hmm. is there, are there other big chunky pieces or what else is there? I mean, what's the reason? I'm trying to work out the big yeah. reasons. The big reasons for the act, y yes. for the legislation. It's just, as you said, it's the protection of your information. So. Um, as I said, the conditions tell you what, what you should be doing when you're using my information. For you as an employer, you have staff's information. What, why do you need all this information? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to sell it to somebody else who's going to you know, spam these people or sell them something? I think maybe just in terms of direct marketing, that's a, a big change. You were talking about you know, people selling your data and phoning you. The Act very specifically says that you can only direct market to somebody if they've given consent. Their consent is very important. The other thing is also you can also contact people. So say I've sold you a car. You then, um, um, I then take that information and then tell my insurance hand, please, I've sold him a car, please phone him for insurance. Yes. Then uh, the next guy says, well, he's just bought a car, he maybe needs new tires. So that's the type of thing that um, if I sell you a car, I'd get your details to sell you a car. I don't get your details to sell you insurance and tires and that. So that's where I think there's a big change coming. People need to be aware of what they do with the information. Okay. And we've recently had the case of King Goodwill Zolotini yes. with a call from Marway. I mean, was that, uh, was that now, would that be co completely illegal? They'd have a case against Marway. So, on the one hand, if the act was effective, and I think that's important to note, the, the king could complain to the regulator to say that he was contacted and he didn't want to be contacted. But the act also says that you can contact the person the first time to get consent. So I can phone you and say, listen, can I speak to you in future about selling you insurance? Um, and you also need to have an opt-out um, sort of requirement. So can I phone you? You say no, then I'm not allowed to phone you in future. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Act says that you can phone the person the first time to, to get consent. Okay, then, but then the onus is on who to prove that it was the first or second time? I think it would probably get down to the responsible party, which would be me in this case where I'm selling you something. So the thing that that's, is now concerning me is I've got a sales department, I represent every other small business <laughs> out there and I want to phone a client. Mm -hmm. Okay, then what? 
a client that you already have. No, no, I want a new client, client prospective client. How do I call them now and not be in contravention? Do I only get to call them once? You only get to call them once, yes. You can call them and say, listen, I want to speak to you, I want to, to offer my services to you. They say no, then you're not allowed to phone them again. If you phone them again, they can then go to the regulator and say, listen, I've told this person not to phone me. He keeps on phoning me. So when is the effective date? It's not been published yet. As I said, we, we had the regulations and that. So we're hoping, uh, the rumours that I've heard is that it will go to Parliament in April to get the final regulations and thereafter they will publish an effective date. Um, Alon, I think it's important to note that once the Act becomes effective, you will have one year to comply with this in terms of processing of information. So we do still have some leeway and some time to make sure we comply. We thank you once again for being here. Do stay tuned now for my reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. Well, it's time for my reflections for today. And if you don't uh, uh, mind my um, phlegmy voice uh, from today, I'm going to be singing you my topic. But I won't put the words in. I'll go. So here it is. Do 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 So it's called as you guessed it do that to me one one more time once is never enough and I get that from my interview with Lee who had tried a certain approach in terms of outbound sales but his words are we tried that and it didn't work and then it stopped. Lee is not unique. Lee is like thousands and thousands of other entrepreneurs out there who have tried in inverted commas to go out and do the selling. If you've been watching the show you will know that I'm one for picking up the phone, knocking on doors. Sales is a critical co uh, component to your business. It's a critical competence that you should have in your, in your business. So trying it once is not enough. You have to do that to be one, one more time. Keep doing that because once is never enough. So the first point here is accept that it's unlikely that you will succeed the first time. It's very unlikely that the first time you go out with a script, with a, an approach, with the target market in, in place, that you will get it right the first time. And too many entrepreneurs go out there, they pluck up the courage to do those cold coils, to do that, uh, that sales strategy, to implement it, and they get negative results and say, you see, well, it didn't work. Now I'm going to wait for people to call me and uh, people to refer to me. Not that that's bad, but it certainly, in my opinion, needs to be supplemented by sales, outbound sales. The second point is around breaking down the sales process into its components. It's very seldom that the whole sales process you've got wrong. The sales process might be from targeting to, to your, your, your script, to, your, uh, to your, actually your meeting script, to, or the whole process of your sales is, might be broken down, depending on your industry, into three to 30 different elements. And it's unlikely that all of them are wrong. So by breaking it down and then starting to experiment with it later, which is my next point, is then start to experiment with, with those different components by, by changing one or two of them at the time and seeing which gives you the best results. So break it down, then experiment by changing. The next point, point is to also keep improving what's working. Because even I see too often 
that a script that worked maybe a year ago, an approach that worked a year ago, a target market that worked a year ago, might not be working for you now. So make sure that you remain relevant to a changing market and a changing market's needs all the time. By keeping a static approach will mean that sure, you will surely become outdated very soon. And then my final thing is that you know the cliche thing is just to keep going. You have to keep pushing. Don't stop at once. Do that to me one more time. Well, that's it for my, my show for today. Do remember uh, that uh, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. And if it doesn't work, think it, write it down and make it a reality. And if it doesn't work, think it, write it down and make it a reality. Uh, it's always good to ha uh, now why am I smiling it's, I'm not happy to see you <laughs> uh -huh. The courage to grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today.